welcome to another episode of the Beyond Prisons podcast, where we examine incarceration from an abolitionist perspective and elevate the voices of people directly impacted by the system. I'm your host, Brian Sonnenstein, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kim Wilson. We have a really important discussion today with Akeem Browder, but before we dive in, we wanted to give a shout out to a really important action taking place for Mother's Day, the National Black Mamas Bailout Day. The Mama's Bailout Day is organized by Southerners on New Ground, or SONG, and I'd like to quickly read the call to action on their website. This year, the week before Mother's Day, SONG, in concert with a coalition of local and national organizations, will join public defenders, impacted communities, and faith and spiritual institutions to bail out as many black mamas as we can from jail. The National Black Mamas Bailout Day action is part of the growing movement to end mass criminalization and modern bondage. It is rooted in the history of black liberation and inspired by the enslaved Africans and black people who use their collective resources to purchase each other's freedom. Through this action, we will support birth mothers, trans mothers, and other women who mother and are entangled in the criminal legal system. We're fundraising in our local communities and across the South to help bring home as many black mamas and caregivers as we can to give them an opportunity to spend Mother's Day with their families, highlight the human cost of inhumane and destructive bail practices, and support local base building on the front lines of mass incarceration. All resources that are not used for the action will be saved for future bailout days or to advance long-term liberation work in our communities. In addition to Song's grassroots fundraising across the South, we are also supporting national fundraising efforts for the National Black Mamas Bailout Day across the country. So we want to encourage people to learn more about this action. You can go to southernersonnewground.org. Uh, And we encourage you to support it however you can, whether it's by making a donation or spreading the word, whatever you can do. Um, And happy Mother's Day. I just want you to know. I just want you to know. So now without further ado, I'd like to get on to our discussion today. We are joined by Akeem Browder, a social justice advocate and agent of change. The Bronx native works to honor the legacy of his brother, Khalif Browder, and mother, Vanita Browder, by working with elected officials, lawyers, doctors, college students, and community-based organizations to change laws, policies, and regulations that devastate poor communities and families that have been impacted by mass incarceration and solitary confinement in state prisons. He is the founder of Shut Down Rikers and the Khalif Browder Foundation, A civil engineer by trade, he is currently traveling the country promoting the six-part Spike TV docuseries, Time, the Khalif Browder Story. Akeem's brother, Khalif Browder, committed suicide in 2015 after spending three years on Rikers Island. Khalif was sent to Rikers in 2010 at age 16 after he was arrested and accused of stealing a backpack. He maintained his innocence and spent three years incarcerated without ever going to trial or being convicted of a crime. He was in solitary confinement for 800 days. A judge offered to sentence Khalif to time served if he pled guilty, but said he could face 15 years in prison if he went to trial and was convicted. Khalif refused to plead guilty to a crime he did not commit. The case was eventually dismissed, and Khalif was released. At Rikers, Khalif endured numerous assaults by guards and other prisoners. He said he was denied food while he was in solitary confinement. These and other experiences traumatized him and ultimately led him to take his own life at age 22. Khalif and Akeem's mother, Benita Browder, passed away soon after from what has been described as a broken heart. Akeem, it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Um, thank you so much for being here. We uh, both really appreciate your time. 
I was just wondering, just to, to start us off, if you could tell us a little bit about your brother and um, a little bit about the work that you're currently doing. Yeah, so uh, the work that I'm doing is really the vision that Khalif had, or at least what he's told the family and people that, I mean, even if you watch the show, the type, uh, time that Khalif brought a story, I mean, he, he came home after doing three years of torture in most of any any jails or prisons is just a torture system and he exemplified what it what it felt like and what it means to be inside uh, these facilities or camps incarceration camps so that vision was translated into i mean he he did tell us he wanted to own his own business he just wanted to be a normal kid or a normal person that he saw like on at wall street when we were filming him uh down at the attorney's office where people are walking around with suits and briefcase and it was impressive to him to see that because as a teenager before he left i mean he remembered just being in school so from remembering school to then jail where you're only wearing one uniform which is a jumper to then coming home impressed by those that have quote unquote or socially accepted normal lives he wanted to be and feel that normalcy that was stripped from him. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, his business, uh, what he wanted to open, he shared with the family, although it wasn't related to jail or anything in, in that people would normally think that, oh, you, as a black young kid, you want to be a rapper or uh, some, some kind of industry thing. No, Khalif actually wanted to start a business. And he said in his own words, he wanted to be, an advocate. He wanted to be a, uh, a, um, a activist. And with his words and my experience in advocacy since 2009, I decided to open up the Kali Browder Foundation. We at the Kali Browder Foundation just tackle the things that we haven't actually had. I mean, we have advocacy in, 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 our, in our public and what that looks like to everyone is I guess uh, some form of voicing of opinions and and standing up for people in a way that we believe um, we can do, but we took it in a different way. So uh, at the uh, Kali Brada Foundation, we decided we're going to, I mean, all of our members um, understand the hope that Kali provided and the sacrifice of his childhood and his, his untimely death. We strive to be innovative in our tactics and relentless while demanding in Kali's vision, uh, justice. So we have three models that we go by or three things that we're focusing on, which is confronting the unconventional um, to benefit the disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. uh, we also demand justice in a way that says we're gonna properly diagnose those that's justice impacted with what I entitled the justice impacted syndrome Mm -hmm. um, and then the last way we demand justice is to get involved with justice, the Justice Department. And so that's demanding justice for the justice impact. It is raising issues against the law and our po policies and procedures. One question that I had, and you know, maybe uh, we should have kicked off with this question, is how are you? How are you doing with all mm -hmm. of this? Wow. <laughs> You know, that's a first. <laughs> a lot of people, um, I mean, I think they make their own assumptions that I'm doing good. 
and they're like, wow, you're so strong. And thanks for like keeping up the, the work that you do. And that's, I mean, it's, it's understandable. People sometimes either one don't understand what it is to, um, they, they would or should or could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, I understand it, but, uh, the real, a- the real aspect of this is, I mean, on my end, I'm a, I mean, I was raised in a big family and when that family starts getting or starts relocating to the cemetery, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has, everyone has, um, death to deal with in their lives. And yet when it comes naturally, it's still a loss and it's mm-hmm. no less, uh, important than when someone gets their life taken, uh, taken too soon. And so I, I mean, I, I deal with like last night I mean, or yesterday I, I visited my mom and my brother who's buried in the same plot. Mm. So, um, I visited them and I, I, I did it alone this time <clears throat> in which, uh, it's really tough, but what I kind of do is try and just talk to my mom like I used to visit her every day I, I mean I lived seven minutes away from her I just literally got in a cab or drove there and or rode my bike there <laughs> and like we just talked or I was my mother's movie buddy so like I would <laughs> just like watch like go over there start the day off like just talking and then all of a sudden we're watching tv and get into watching a show and I don't have that partner anymore and even when it came to Khalif and the loss of his life I was devastated to the point where like it happened June 4th by August 15th is like I woke up because I was like, I remember the first initial and anything up until from June 4th to the 15th of August, I don't recall a single thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I blacked out cause I know, in the moment while his body was there on the floor and the medics is coming to take it, uh, take him away. I physically fought them. Like he's not dead. And what are you doing? Like, where are you taking him or how are we going to get him back? And I remember like, it it, it was so like destructive to see my brother getting zipped up in a body bag. Mm. And then my mom was, she was the first one to find him. So that was, you, you want to be strong for your mother or you want to fight somebody or you, you want to blame somebody. And yet at all of them, none of them is going to bring back the life that just was lost. Mm-hmm. And so um, at this point, like, and I, I fought when Khalif, when Khalif passed after I came to like September, uh, August, like I told you, Mm-hmm. But um, that was done through shutdown Rikers, and uh, it was people that came together and was like, "We feel your pain. We want to do something about this. Let's form a uh, grassroots organization to do marches in the streets." And I've already started. Um, I started Black Lives Matter in New York as an abolition movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we march in the street. We we voice ourselves, and then when it happened to Khalif, I'm like shocked like shit I, it's not like i just got involved with this after he passed yeah it was like i got involved with this and then all of a sudden it happened to my brother mm-hmm. it, it, sometimes people get activated when they when something happens to their family mm-hmm. i actually got activated because it happened to me first yeah and yeah. so when i was a kid 
Yeah, so, I read that in, uh, in in a number of articles that uh, you went uh, to Rikers first when you were 14. 14, yeah. Can you tell and, us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you let Google tell you, I'd be devastated. I'd be shocked because Google tells you that I'm the Bronx rapist. And yet what happens is you get accused of a crime. That doesn't mean you were sentenced of a crime for that crime. It just means that's called the accusation and people don't understand or choose not to really realize the alleged implication of a crime means it's an allegation. It means mm -hmm. that you have to go through court to find out what happened. And most times people take pleas. So yeah, Khalif would have taken a plea and people would have thought, yeah, he was, he was the robber. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in my case, the world made the accusation that, and, or, uh, took the stance that I'm the Bronx rapist and I was 27 and I was abducting girls, kidnapping them basically. And yet I'm 14 years old, where, where, where I'm going to put them, how I'm going to move them around in a bus pass with a bus, um, bus, uh, right. um, a Metro mm. card. Mm -hmm. Like I can't drive a car. I'm not 27 years old. You're looking for a man that has the capabilities or someplace to store these girls. And yet you find it in a boy. And the world yeah. didn't stop to think that our young black males don't – we can resemble looking like something like or somewhat of a man. But I kind of mm -hmm. didn't even look like a teenager. I looked like a boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so they accused me of this. And, and you – actually, here's another thing. When someone gets accused of a crime, you don't have the news reporters right then and there as soon as they're getting arrested. Yeah. But when you have news reporters there, it's because – they already set up the story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. There was a helicopter. Like, so what happened was I was bringing my sister. My, like, so I went home. I went home from school even though I cut school. So I was doing <laughs> something wrong. So I had cut school. It was my first year in high school. I'm 13 years old. And uh, I, is that, my birthday is November 29th. It happened December 20th. Mm -hmm. And so 1220 – I'm already 14. Well, I was with my girlfriend cutting class, and we were doing stuff that teens do, but shouldn't being be doing. teenagers, yep. being teenagers. And so her mother caught us basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I ran out the house, blah blah blah. Like she yelled at me, and I ran out the house. And by the time I got home, so you're you just know you're gonna get in trouble, probably gonna get okay. your butt beat or something like that. But mm -hmm. reprimanded for her doing something that you're not supposed to. Because I wasn't even allowed to have a girlfriend at the time, but I did. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I get home, and then my mother is the usual thing. I got home, my mom was like, "Go oh, pick up your um, pick up your brothers and sisters." So, um, get them from school. So I went up to the school, got my brothers, Khalif, Kamal, Dion, and Nicole. Um, my three brothers and my sister, my one sister. We're all adopted, so mm -hmm. we're all different shades of colors, mm -hmm. but. That's how our family is. So if, you, if people don't choose to understand that, then that's their problem. But my mother made our family no. or created our family. Yeah. And so I'm bringing them home, which is only one, two blocks away. And as my brothers go in, Khalif first, Kamal second, Dion third. And since they're black, I don't think it's more important to, or to understand that the helicopters and the cop cars and, and, and the... Um, news reporters didn't come until my white 
and Puerto Rican sister who looks white basically um, mm-hmm. is then going through the gate. Once she goes through the gate, it's like action. And then all of a sudden the helicopter comes, the news 12 comes, ABC comes. Oh, um, the police came, threw me on the floor. My sister turns around like I'm embarrassed but scared and I'm already knowing in my head this is trouble from my my situation running away from my my girlfriend's house. Yeah. But wow. not knowing that this is actually stemming from something where there was an epidemic in the Bronx in 1997 from someone kidnapping girls and uh, accosting them or kidnapping them. So but as a kid you don't know this. You're 13 you're 14 years old, a month not even a full month out of being 13. Yeah. And so I got arrested. They show my face all over the news. The Bronx rapist was caught. And then wow. the and then they take stories from people in the Bronx saying there's a relief in the Bronx now that tonight is the first night that they uh, they have the Bronx rapist caught. So the oh, public God. plays on this like, yes, finally our kids can take a breath. Now that's a noble thought. Make sure you have that correct because nine o'clock by nine o'clock that night, my both my eyes are closed because I'm beat up because every mm-hmm. officer, every officer in that precinct took their turn with me one at a time, had me in a cell as soon as you walk inside that precinct and had me in the cell to the like right down the hall. And each one, one at a time, took off their keys, dropped it on a desk, walked into that cell, beat holy fire out of me screaming chants of you raped my daughter, you raped my sister that was my friend's daughter and then beating the holy fuck out of me Excuse and you're my four and, no please, we, we use fuck around here quite mm-hmm. a bit and you're 14 you're 14 yeah, and to them I'm 27 I mean, like, though and, and, and people need to really understand that and you know make this connection because we see this a lot with black children specifically black girls, black boys who are presented or you know seen as being much older than what they actually are right so meanwhile we age more gracefully than them indeed indeed (laughs) right and it's like yeah the the the, sorry i'm not being offensive but black don't crack is not a (laughs) black don't crack is not is not a statement that's just made up for fun (laughs) but um it's so frustrating and so difficult. And there are so many parallels there to, you know, a situation, you know, with, with my oldest son who was arrested, you know, when he was young and, you know, I came home and he was sitting there on the front step, you know, handcuffed and there were cops surrounding the entire apartment complex. There were, you know, I couldn't even enter my apartment. I had to call my daughter to go get my youngest son. I mean, it's just, people don't really understand how devastating that is right and then they just kind of like fast forward they see you today and listening to you describe it it's just like you know people see you today and they're like oh everything's cool look he's out there advocating and you know really trying to capture and understand you know and and uncover and let people see a little bit about what your experience is like Right. And what you went through and then how that impacted 
you know, your family. And I think that that's an important part of, um, of this story and an important part of the conversation, because I think that, you know, watching your brother, your 14 year old brother get arrested in such a brutal way, getting arrested period is really difficult. Right. But watching you get with helicopters and police and all of these things. And, you know, what do you, how did that impact your family? If I can ask that question, if that's not. So just, just so I can finish framing this part of the, the, the this part of the story, mm-hmm. um, just for the viewers out there to understand after I got beat by eight different officers, all taking their turn with me one at a time. I don't know how they felt pleasure in that, but they thought I was a Bronx rapist, I guess. So why not take your turn with someone that's snatching up your daughters? I, I guess punishment is comes in the form of beating and abusing people. In um, revenge. In a form of revenge. Because in a form of revenge, even, yeah. You know, right. That's not justice. I mean, but, it's like, yeah. But what happened was, after, like I said, my eyes are swollen closed and I'm beat up and... I'm sitting in an interrogation room being questioned. What happened was nine o'clock news comes on. The Bronx rapist strikes again, but they called him the copycat. So this person, oh my God. this person then, this person then offended again. And they said, he's the copycat. So I'm the original. I mean, no one liked me, but. The so Bronx did, rapist strikes again as the cop, or as well. A, they didn't say the Bronx rapist strikes again. They said a copycat of the Bronx rapist. And so we could find these on Google. Like you can find these reports. Yeah. I don't know. But the messed up thing is, they realized it happened again, so they had to cover their behind. So they said the copycat. And I think that was the first time in history that I've and I've been told by other people that that's the first time in history that term began circulating because. They had to make right what they made, what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that was just to frame the last part because be- by the time that happened, I then was, I was then, I guess, in a, in a lineup where no one identified me. None of the um, women that or the girls were accusing me of, mm-hmm. but they still had to make the case. Mm-hmm. So my girlfriend's mom at the time, realizing how strong this got to be drops wants to drop the case. And so they didn't allow it because the police didn't have the right to pick up the case. Mm-hmm. So and wait, so, so hold on. I, I, maybe I missed something. So the girlfriend's mom accused you of what? Of, well, I, I don't, I, I know she just called the cops and said that cause I was oh, having, okay. her, her daughter was having oral sex with me. And so, oh. So okay. she called the cops and she doesn't say the words sodomy or yeah. rape. She just says this boy, the guy, and the guy was having sex with my, I don't know. Cause I wasn't there, but yeah, she's yeah. yelling and stuff. So I ran. So I could only assume that the, what she, the words she probably used wasn't wow. the technical words that yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. my daughter is being sodomized. But what happens is the police then make up is they say, okay, I heard your story. I'm going to, Put the appropriate charges to it, so they call it sodomy because sodomy. Yeah. Right. Is... So they they fill in the blanks. And, exactly. Yeah, they fill in so, the blanks. Wow. So those charges. Mm. So first they get you. They get you to like in the interrogation room, you're getting asked about this. So, I mean, as a kid, you were in trouble. You just say what you. I like for me, 
I mean, well, you, all I did was say what I did, which is, yeah, I was getting oral sex from my girlfriend, but they they write up that and they come back later and they're like, okay, so uh, what about this girl and where were you with this one and there and blah blah blah. So then they ask you about it and like, no, I already told you what I did, but basically that's all you know of as a kid. Then you go to jail. Yeah, you're in the you're in the precinct, the hold the central not central bookings. You're in the holding pen. Then you get to Rikers and. I knew nothing about Rikers. I didn't know that this was a place where people die, get slashed, get beat, raped, uh, starved, neglected. I didn't. I didn't know any of this. My mother didn't teach us about jail yeah. or yeah. people getting arrested. I mean, you watch TV and you you see all these black and brown skinned people going on on cops going on like the show Cops. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you see all this happening, but you don't realize this happening because you're only a kid. Why should you be exposed to like this kind of um, mentality. Mm-hmm. So, so when I went to jail, I didn't know any difference. I just knew as soon as I got through the door of Rikers and I'm sitting in a holding, a holding pin and everyone's talking about my case because I'm the Bronx rapist. And then I get beat up at the holding pins from the inmate or the detainees there. Oh, and so now I'm, j- I'm just taking a beating everywhere. And I was a, I was a little ki- I, mean, I was skinny as hell. I mean, mm-hmm. if you ask anybody in my family, they call me chicken because I had chicken legs and <laughs> I was skinny. And so, mm-hmm. and you could see my ribs from my back. Like it, it was, mm-hmm. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't, just wasn't a big kid. And so I'm getting these beatings all over, eyes closed. So I really couldn't see where it's coming from anyway. So you just curl up in a ball. And then next thing you know, um, I get into five lower. That's where Khalif was. Oh, wow. And C 74. But all of this is not remi- is reminiscent once Khalif goes there, and I'm like, oh my god, you're in five yeah. lower. I remember this, Khalif, because as soon as I got in, I didn't know to do this. Yeah. So I told Khalif what to do, which yeah. is my first time going into right. five lower. There's adults there. You say they say that they these this is adolescent house. Yet, I gotta tell you, adolescent house means. We don't know what you are because if you got arrested, like me, if I got arrested, I'm 34 right now. If I got arrested at 34, but I'm scared of Rikers, so I don't mm-hmm. want to go to jail. So I'm going to say I'm an adolescent. I'm going to lose my ID before I get arrested, or maybe I just got arrested without an ID. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that I'm 18. Yeah. So that I can not be around the adults that have experience and that can l- use their experience to like get me killed, raped, stabbed, something. Yeah. And so I'm going to go into an adolescent house, and that's what these people do. So they're wow. called John Doe's. Wow. John Doe then gets to go to an adolescent house and rule that house with his knowledgeable experience of experience yeah. and size and weight and everything. Right. And so his influence, when I first came into that uh, five lower, I went to a whole bunch of houses just like Khalif because you can't survive on Rikers as a rapist or accused yeah. rapist. You, you're dead mm-hmm. and you're raped before that, uh, before it even, before you die or simultaneously. So, mm-hmm. When I got there, I'm standing in between that gate where you, if you saw the show and Khalif got, um, he got jumped by the whole house. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he went in between the gate where they kicked open. Yeah. That is called the A and B gate. Mm-hmm. The A and B gate is the A gate when you first walk in and then the B gate when you, where they kicked, where that um, one individual had kicked. Mm-hmm. So... While you're standing there on the other side of that gate, on either side, one side is the uh, the, um, the correctional officers, the other side is the detainees. They are standing on the gate. I'm gonna kill. They already know that you're coming there. 
Yeah. Because the guards prepare them. How else would they know that Akeem Browder is coming there and he's the Bronx rapist? But they're on the gate saying, you raped my sister. And knowing damn well it wasn't their sister. But, I mean, I understand the sentiment. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm standing in between that gate. And as soon as they open that gate, they escort me to my cell. Because as soon as you get in your uh, your cell, they're be- they, they, the officers walk away and they like, get them. Wait. Yeah. They, they tell them, and I've seen it, they tell them, Wait five minutes so I could get back into the bubble, what they call the bubble, where yeah. the COs are protected. And mm-hmm. they like, wait five minutes, and then you could get them. So then wow. that's what they did. I, I put my – I'm there crying in my cell. And next thing I know, one, two, three – the whole house is um, beating me. Jesus. So I told Khalif because then I got my butt, my butt whooped. But mm-hmm. then now I'm like, okay, if I'm going to die, I'm going to have to start fighting back. I, I didn't know what to do. One old man came in there, and he's like, you got to – young brother, you got to hit somebody. You gotta you yeah. gotta stall off on someone. Their their words are stall off. You gotta stall mm-hmm. off on someone as soon as it doesn't matter if he's innocent or if he hits you or not. Just hit someone because he I guess he felt bad for me because the beating I took was incredible. I got stitches right away. It open, so I got Jesus. I got scars from um, Rikers, but fortunately I never got sliced open. Mm-hmm. But the, I I went to the front of the house where they have this the phones on the walls. These old old phones and I took it off and he was like take that phone and smash it into somebody's face so it sounds sounds violent but guess what anything on in prison or jails is opposite than what we think on the streets absolutely it's acceptable yeah it's nor it's normal right. so the the criminal aspect of norm, normalcy on Rikers is or any jail is is criminal on the streets it's normal normal and so I took that phone and I had to smash it in, in someone's face, which I've never done a day in my life. Jesus. But at 14 years old, I find myself – forget the beatings. I find myself giving, serving, serving someone a phone mm-hmm. for dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I got jumped again by the house. Then they pressed the button, which is the emergency alarm. Mm-hmm. And I'm being hauled off to a different house where I have to start that process where as soon as, mm-hmm. as soon as you get in that house, instead of going to your cell – you hurry up and take a phone, mm-hmm. either the hand, the handle or the actual mount. You mm-hmm. pull it off and you hit someone. So I told Khalif, as soon as you get in there, do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that was his experience at five lower. And then they moved him to five upper and then five main. Then all over C74, C75, uh, OBCC, every house he mm-hmm. went to until he ended up getting into solitary confinement because – he, not that he had a rape case or a sexual abuse case, but because he's not gang affiliated. Yeah. So they, so, they, they claim to do it for your own protection. Protection, yeah. Oh, no, I'm talking about the reason why you're taking these beatings in every house. Oh, okay. Okay. And yes, the, they, that's also true. So I'm not, I'm not oh, uh, taking okay. away. Okay. I misunderstood what, what you were saying. Okay. Gotcha. But it's also true what you said. Yeah. They put yeah. you in solitary confinement for your own protection. Protection. But, but he was getting the he was being beaten and you were being beaten because you're not part of a gang. So yeah, that's so, part of right. you know the that's part of the process. Exactly. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's violence every step. If you're not uh, there for a crime that is discondoned or not condoned by society, I mean no crime is condoned. But in jail, if you're a robber, you're like, okay, that's cool. If you're a uh, assault, per, if you assaulted someone, if you murdered, oh man, you got so much respect. Yeah. Out yeah. of fear, probably. 
Because yeah. that person that person knows you're going upstate for life. Yeah. So he's like, I don't want to fuck with you because <laughs> you murdered someone and maybe I didn't. I just I'm just here for a traffic violation yeah. or open canister, so I'm not gonna mess with you. Mm-hmm. And then even the more the people that are there for having a gun and then they got a, a year for each bullet, well, they're only doing six years probably and or and you're doing life, so they don't want to fuck you get so much respect if you're there for the worst crimes. Yeah. Except for except for sexual abuse. Sexual assault and, you know, child molestation and exactly. things like that, which is, you know, child you know, abuse. Oh man, don't really don't beat up dumb. on a kid because yeah. If you go to jail, they're like, oh, you wanted to beat up on a kid, so I'm going to show you. It's like exactly. they enact their own vengeance. Mm-hmm. And yet, mm-hmm. these, are, these are innocent people. These are people who are there for an accused crime. Yes, they might be guilty for something. Yeah. But at the moment, the law says you're innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. And Actually, it's not even prison. It's jail. Place. Jail, exactly. Like you haven't even been convicted yet. right? So or the difference the for the viewers to hear this yeah. is essential because I think, one – Re-education is the most important thing because mm-hmm. people be- simultaneously or synonymously believe that prison and jails are the same thing. And they're not. Yeah, and absolutely. They're not, but they also they also believe that if you did the crime, you do the time. Exactly. And so the thing is, even if you are in prison where you've been sentenced, mm-hmm. that sentence came about through either and more than likely if you're black and brown skin, that 98% is they took a plea bargain. That mm-hmm. means they accepted a guilty plea, mm-hmm. although they might not actually be guilty. They just took it because they couldn't afford an attorney. Yeah. They couldn't afford bail, mm-hmm. or they couldn't stand being in a hellhold like Rikers any longer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it gives so, you a date. I mean, it's like, and it right. gives you a date that you it inevitably. Gives you, it gives you a date, and that's exactly. the thing that it's a you payoff, know, it's, basically. It's, it's the thing that you know, people. Even if that date is, you know, thirty-five years, uh, people know that they have a date, and it's like, okay, thirty-five sounds better than life. Like it's mind-boggling, right? It's mind-boggling. They don't understand why people would actually take a plea to something that they didn't do and serve out that time, but they don't really understand the realities of being incarcerated. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just such a difficult thing. And um, I've mentioned this in, in pretty much every episode that we've done so far, but uh, you and I don't know each other and I'm not sure how much of my story, you know, but both of my sons have been sentenced to life in prison and are both serving they're both serving time at uh, James T. Vaughn Correctional Facility in Delaware. So mm. what, um, sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, really. I know that Khalif's story isn't unique enough to the point where we're saying this only happened to him. Oh, no, and, yeah. And so, like, it's not that we're trying to uh, make it something that is not um, unique. What we're trying to say is, he represents uh, one, a time, mm-hmm. a time in which people finally needs to stand up and say enough is enough. Our children shouldn't be treated as adults. That's one, and they shouldn't be responsible for actions or all actions in the same manner as an adult. So Absolutely. it's not that they're not responsible for their um, their actions or they shouldn't be held responsible for their actions. It's just when they're children and 
I mean, when I say children, I'm not talking about a nine-year-old. I'm talking about what science has proven. Exactly. That, what science has proven is that your frontal cerebral cortex has not even been developed yet or turned on. Mm -hmm. And so your decisions are skewed by thoughts that are not that of an adult yeah. human being. Yeah. Right. And so you may not have thought of it fully. Now, if you were 21 and over, which even, I mean, it says it, science proves that at 21, that child is still not fully developed that you until haven't after. quite exactly that it's around 25 years old right. that you actually start to develop that you know that part of your brain and the justice system is not or injustice system has not caught up with the science as a matter of fact they tend to be anti-science unless it's in you know the case of you know using quote-unquote evidence you know, against. scientific evidence against so that they can, you know, incarcerate larger numbers of people from particular groups and populations. So, you know, it just so like, happens to be yeah. our our black and brown skinned kids, black and brown skinned right. kids. Exactly. Exactly. It, we, we see the story repeated over and over and over again. And, you know, and so when I say Khalif is not yeah. that Khalif is. Uh, unique to this, but it is it is unique, and we'll we'll outline how unique it is. Well, mm -hmm. one, we always hear of people taking pleas for mm -hmm. uh, because of long absorptive bids. Let's hear how Khalif um, relates to that. They gave they were trying to give Khalif 15 years for his first time felony offense, which was a non-violent felony offense. Just uh, so to add, but. That's that was the first plea they gave him. That's a scary ass number. Fifteen years for a That's book ridiculous. bag. Well, but a book he, bag? he was but, accused of stealing the book bag. Whether he was guilty or not is fifteen years is ridiculous. Like yeah. we need there's no sense of proportionality here, right? So people really No, because what happens is after we give him fifteen uh, or tell him fifteen, he's gonna go to the cell, cry. Be, be devastated that 15 years be happening because of a, a book bag or for anything that's that's not deserving. And then when we offer him seven years, which was the next offer, right. he's going to jump on it like, oh, my God, 15, seven is better than 15. Yeah. Yeah. So they offered him seven. He's like, wait, but I can't. You're not going to get me to say I did something that I didn't do. Exactly. So then they said, well, you know what? They have evidence and all this stuff. Meanwhile, they had nothing. It's just a yeah. tactic. Mm -hmm. So. Then they came back and they said three years. And then they came back and said one year. And then they came back and said probation, parole, mm -hmm. I mean, pro parole. Then they came oh. back and said time served. And he didn't take any of it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, the, why should you take probation or parole for something you didn't do? So now you're labeled, you know, a, 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 felon. a felon. And that carries with you throughout your entire life. Right. Not only that, that not you don't shake that label. Right. And it's like it, and, and the difficulties that you have to encounter as a result of that. So it's like, of course, you're not going to take that. Well, no, that's the thing. The only reason yeah. why they know to do that, because, of course, pe well, you said, of course, you're people, not going to yeah. take it. Ninety eight percent. Yeah, I misspoke. I misspoke. That means yeah, everybody. Yeah, exactly. That two percent is very far or hard to get to. Yeah, because while you're suffering. You're like, I'll just do it. I'll take it. It's yeah. better. Yeah. So, yes, it, it, that's, that's one way. We, we're only making one point on why Khalif is unique. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one. The other half is because we're that's when we're talking about a, a long absorbative bids. But yeah. then the other point is that you hear of people dying in their cells because the heat the the heat in their cell. You hear of cases like John O'Reilly, uh, James O'Reilly in in California, who got steamed in his shower to death. Mm-hmm. You hear of mm-hmm. torture. Mm-hmm. You hear of abuse where officers are raping, um, raping. Um, detainees, human beings that's behind these walls of incarceration and getting them pregnant, forcing them to get abortions or beating them. And, so, and that happened in the case of um, uh, Candy, uh, Candy Haley, a woman that's in New York, that mm-hmm. actually is a spitting example of Khalif, meaning she did three years. She's the female version of Khalif. She did three years, solitary confinement, and then got out because they got the wrong person, they said. So she got out two months after Khalif. Mm-hmm. And she's the female Khalif. And yet she also suffered in a way that is different because she is a woman who got raped, um, got pregnant by these officers, and then had to get an abortion while in jail. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, we, hear, we hear of all this abuse, and yet the difference between them and Khalif is... There's no difference, really. I mean, he got the abuse as well, but he didn't take the plea to go along to follow. The, he kept on going to court resilient, saying, I didn't do this. I'm going to stand up for myself because it's just not right. He's going to mm-hmm. make the system. What he did was make the system work for him. So he, we hear of the beatings. We hear of the 38 different times he went to court. We hear of... Um, the sentence structure we hear of even the lack of uh, the lack of proper diagnosis like they'll while you're in jail which people don't realize the department of mental health and hygiene is a bitch when it comes to i'll i'll sentence i'll put a second a second sentence on you meaning you're getting sentenced for your crime and when you come out you're going to have this um review or psychological review on you that mm-hmm. i did while you were being uh, tortured so that's going to follow you for the rest of your life in your mental health um, case file. Yeah. And so in case you do any other crime, we can say, oh, this guy, we already knew it. Look, he has this yeah. in his file. We, yeah. we diagnosed him when he was um, in jail. And so that follows him. And that's why he does what he does now. That's mm-hmm. not treatment. No, what, what that's not. What's that's called is false di- or misdiagnoses, which mm-hmm. – I, the Khalif Brother Foundation, which I thought I, I came up with this because when Khalif came home, they misdiagnosed him and said that he has po- a multiple personality syndrome. Yeah. Now, just to understand what that really is, or not that, but all diagnosis, you have a diagnosis, whether it's paranoid schizophrenia, which they also diagnosed him for, um, or multiple sch- uh, 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 personalities. Any of these diagnoses is because they've seen a symptom. Yeah. So that symptom of this person talking to himself right. and then they, and plain day in front of you, a person that's on the street that's doing that, that never, ever went into jail, that's a proper diagnosis because they've, they're basing it off of people that they see on the street. Mm-hmm. But of a military veteran that, that goes into war and suffers some kind of paranoid schizophrenia or mental del- um, delusion – those veterans went through a traumatizing effect that mm-hmm. they have what's called or unique to them as a veteran, a military vet. They have what's called 
PTSD, PTSD for, yeah. for that specific PTSD. You could have PTSD for a car accident. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, there is no mental diagnosis in the DSM that identifies a person who went through jail or mm-hmm. prison and comes up with a creation that says, well, this is only known for people that goes to jail. So we're going to diagnose them off the symptom they have based on the, the location they were at. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not context specific and there's no accounting for what happens in prisons, because if you did that, if you said, yeah, prisons are, you know, torturing people and prisons produce psychoses where no psychosis existed. And it's like these behaviors, like you said earlier, in the context of prison become natural. It's like, I mean, talking to yourself, you know, we're pathologizing that behavior as if that is a problem in and of itself, right? Right, it's coping. <laughs> rather, rather than, you know, seeing it in terms of, you know, the bigger picture, because that would require us to do something that we're unwilling to do. And it is to acknowledge, basically, that prisons are sites of torture and that they are severely damaging to people. And you can make someone unwell, mentally unwell, uh, by putting them in prison, by putting them in solitary confinement, by, you know, torturing them, etc. You know, and that's not something that is part of the conversation, you know, much of the conversation around mass incarceration, which is why I think, you know, this is, um, a- as you pointed out, you know, a really important uh part of Khalif's story to highlight and to let people know what is going on. Um, of course, that's why, that's why, it's one of our focal points at the Kali Prada Foundation. We've decided to take on this task and get this into the DSM, which is not an easy feat. So mm-hmm. right. we're doing we're doing these on this process, which is something that no one's ever done. I don't know why in the history of man, we have never decided to look at our human beings that's behind the walls of incarceration as human beings and say, well, Every human being who goes through some kind of torture needs a specific um, diagnosis for them and their symptoms that they're exhibiting. So we came up with a symptom, which I call the justice impacted syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, which is probably going to be termed post-incarceration syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, which is known because there's thesis on this. There's a a lot of people who actually wrote on it. And and when I say a lot, it's really just a handful of people throughout the United States of America that decided to write a thesis on this and myself, I wrote a thesis on this and I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that this gets into the DSM by showing undeniable proof. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that's one of the tasks that we're doing at the Kali Prada foundation, getting the proper diagnosis for those that's justice impacted. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So Akeem, I was wondering um, if we could, maybe switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in New York City right now, um, undoubtedly due to efforts like yours and your families and a lot of other people working in the city uh, to close Rikers Island and to bring reforms to the criminal justice system there. Um, you know, this has been going on for a few years now. Uh, a few years ago, they closed, uh, they ended the contract with Horizon Health Services, which was a for-profit medical service provider that was doing all sorts of ghastly things and not providing mental health treatment. Um, You know, I don't know if you had any experiences with them while you were on Rikers, but 
you know, more recently, we've had changes to the use of solitary confinement. There's supposedly been retraining of guards. Um, and the mayor just recently proposed a billion dollars for uh, community-based jails. And I was just wondering, um, you know, given your experiences and the way that you're approaching these problems, if you could sort of just react um, a little bit to what's going on right now with the Close Rikers campaign um, and how you feel it's going, what it's been like working with uh, the mayor and city officials. <clears throat> so it's important to talk about this where the people parrot and the people, when I mean like the city of whatever city we go on, go to, and we have um, really clever terms like raise the age or mm -hmm. shut down Rikers, which I started shut down Rikers. And then there's close Rikers. A shutdown Rikers is a grassroots organization, just the people from the streets of New York saying enough is enough. However, when you, when you start a movement and it becomes a corporation, it becomes a trend. Mm -hmm. And that's not what the people asked for. Exactly. We didn't want clever terms like close Rikers. So Glenn Martin, who started close Rikers, who <clears throat> says he advocates for Khalif Browder and the Browder family and all those that's been incarcerated, sounds good, right? Mm -hmm. However, when do we stop parroting what other people tell us? Yeah. Because it's a, it's a difference between understanding what that parrot means or what, that, what you're parroting. Like, I'm going to close Rikers, which close Rikers stands for, but in turn, I'm going to open up four new jails. Yeah. Right. And then people forget that that thought, in theory, came from Glenn Martin himself. Yeah. Because they just heard he's only advocating uh, closed Rikers, but they didn't realize that his goal is to open up new jails. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're they're not asking they're not asking the right set of questions, <clears throat> and there are certain exactly. people who become, you know, um, very prominent as a result of capitalizing on certain language that we use in you know social justice circles right so they get very good at using that language and it's not to you know diminish or take away from the good works that people have done um but it is to point out that when you do that under the guise of okay this is this is the thing that we're about but then over here, you're kind of, you know, you're like, yeah, but okay, we're going to have, uh, we advocate for the five, you know, new prisons. We're okay with that. You're not really, <laughs> you're not really about it. You're really not about, you know, shutting down the system. What you're doing is basically saying, okay, we're going to, you know, it, it's, it's a hat trick, right? It's, it's an illusion. Just to not, and, and I hear what you're saying. I, I'd rather just keep it simple and mm -hmm. say, if you're if you're advocating closing a jail, why mm -hmm. would you at the same time, on the same token, advocate opening four new new jails? Exactly. Mm -hmm. right. Let's just keep it simple. What happens is, you find people who are down for the cause. They heard of shutdown Rikers because I started that, um, like I said, three months after Khalid passed in August of 2015. He started close Rikers to, um, on March of 2016, saying that. He wants to close Rikers, but that was only because I didn't want to work with him. Me and my team mm -hmm. or our board members mm -hmm. said, no, we're not going to ever advocate opening up new jails. We think that we can be more innovative in 2017 and on to say that we gave more than 100 years to a penal system yeah. that, that targets our people, our kids, our black and brown skin demographic. And so we don't want to give another year. We want the shutdown of Rikers, an immediate shutdown. Mm -hmm. And yet, 
when when that didn't work by asking to join with shutdown Rikers, then all of a sudden he comes out because he's a he's a millionaire. He's a, or what he calls as himself as a self-made millionaire. Mm-hmm. And so and so what happens is you have the money to create these styrofoam fists that says shut down or close Rikers. You have the money to create the flyers to get the shirts and actually incorporate, uh, inc- uh, incorporate your company. And so you did it faster than I could actually do it because I'm not a millionaire. I'm just an average dude that yeah. got Im- impacted by well, you don't have- uh, his you, you don't have the, the resources and no one really wants to back anyone financially. And this is something that Five uh, talked about in his episode. And uh, we discussed this in his interview, you know, that there's no money for abolition. Right. Exactly. If you're saying that you want to invest in a community and shut down prisons because it's not an either or you have to do both simultaneously. You have to attend to the mental health issues. You have to attend to, you know, the family issues. You have to attend to getting people jobs, et cetera, et cetera, while you're working to shut down prisons. And if you're saying shut down prisons, but open new prisons, there's there's money there. There's exactly to be made there. You know, and so and people that's the, will. That's the ugly truth, and you know, people are like, "Oh, well, you know, you're doing good." No, actually, you're really not. You can't. You can't have your hands in in that pot and say, "Okay, you're really helping," because you're really not. The same communities right. that you claim to be helping are the communities who are going to be entrapped and enmeshed in this carceral system, you know, indefinitely. Right. And Akeem, like, I'm wondering, you know, if you have any reaction, I feel, you know, one of my reactions to what's going on with these community jails, and we talked about this with five, you know, spending a billion dollars to build jails in communities does not count as community investment, or maybe, you know, or it shouldn't. But I think, um, you know, another point about about this push for reform instead of abolition is that left out of this equation entirely, more or less, is the Department of Correction itself. Um, I feel like there's been little done to address the ways uh, like, I guess for the focus that Glenn Martin has, the focus is on Rikers Island itself as like a building, as an embodiment, a manifestation of torture and abuse, which is true. I mean, you know, a lot of those things, the crumbling infrastructure there, you know, like you were talking earlier. But you know what? Let's, let's, let's break that down. Cause realistically the walls and the floors and the ceilings and the benches never killed anyone exactly mm-hmm. exactly and all, and on top of that it definitely doesn't teach people how to commit suicide absolutely so right. the 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 officers mm-hmm. have to be held accountable for their their actions and then accountability looks like we will never hire somebody like this again we're going to take a stance against abuse mm-hmm. i mean it's it's the only moral character characteristic that you can do when you see a person on the street beating their kids. You want to call nine one one, right? But you see a person, you hear a video, you see it, you watch a video like Time to Kali brought a story, and you hear a story of other people that's being raped and and abused and neglected and starved like Khalif, and then you don't immediately wait. Well, who do you call? Because you you want to call the cops on a cop. Mm-hmm. So right. Two things, de Blasio, for him to say that he wants to shut down Rikers, the people cheered. And he, what he's doing is calling everyone in the, in the state of New York or the city of New York idiots mm-hmm. because they already anticipated if we get the people to say yay for the thought of shutting down Rikers, we're also going to have the naysayers, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to put out 
then we're going to know that we're going to get naysayers. So how do we get the where do we get the naysayers from? I'm going to put something for them to nay against, which is I'm going to say 10 years. So now mm -hmm. I got the the yays, but the the nays all or the the yes and the nos or the yays and the nays are saying yes to shutting down Rikers or cl closing Rikers and no to yes still, but no to why does it have to be 10 years? Now, by getting both of them, I'm still saying I got both of you. Mm -hmm. Because you're either way, you want to shut down Rikers, so I'm going to get your vote. Yeah. Because this is election season, people. Exactly. I'm only, do, I'm only doing this for election season, but yeah. I'm going to give them the 10-year uh, thought so that they can bitch and moan about the 10 years. However, the most important thing that they should be saying, F talking about the 10 years, I should be talking about, well, did de Blasio even read the report that the um, the Lippmann Commission, who uh, who wrote the report on how to shut down Rikers in 10 years, did they ever? Did he ever read that? No. But how do we prove that, right? So Julio Medina, who's my fiscal sponsor, he sits on the board of the um, Lippmann Commission. So when he mm -hmm. goes to these meetings, I go with him. And mm -hmm. how come De Blasio, the file is on our table in our in our office, yet he's never looked at it? But the, here's the other thing. It costs $10.6 billion to shut it down. Mm -hmm. So people say, how come it's 10 years and $10.6 billion? But wait a minute. That's not the important thing. They want to shut it down to open new prisons and those and new jails. And those new jails, did we do any research about it that, wait a minute, it takes uh, $10.7 billion or $10.6 billion at the least. They're not saying that's the exact number. They're mm -hmm. saying at the least. Mm -hmm. But then each of these jails is going to have 5,500 beds in it. Mm -hmm. But wait a minute. Right. That's more than what we have at Rikers. Yeah. And if I remember, means... isn't de Blasio also not ruling out building a new jail on Rikers? Like, I've heard that's not off the table. No, it's not. And we, what we see is he keeps on advocating the, the building, the, the building of, of more things on Rikers. Like, right. he just approved at the end of last year tasers mm -hmm. in the right. jails. And along with tasers... Um, sandbags in the live uh, for live ammunition. So now they're ruling on should we get deadly weaponry. Mm -hmm. So they already approved sandbags being in these guns. They already approved electrocuting people with tasers. Yet these people, they don't have what they, you're acting like this is a war, like they're shooting back at you or tasing yeah. back at you. Yeah. A recent report showed that they added 1,000 plus new officers. If you're trying to shut down a facility, why are you adding new officers? Yeah, exactly. But that's always the that's always the the response. It's like anytime there's you know we're talking about shitty prison conditions, it, you know, and we saw this at Vaughn uh, just recently with the rebellion uh, on February first. The knee jerk response by politicians, uh, other community leaders, and I use that term rather loosely is to fall back on the safety and security, you know, and he used that as the pretext to basically uh -huh. double down on, you know, really more oppressive tactics. So buying uh, military, you know, kind of weaponry uh, to use against people who are handcuffed. Like what the <laughs> fuck are we doing? What the fuck are yeah. we doing? And that's, you know, really getting to the heart of the matter. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other, you know, general thoughts? Anything else that you want to share in general? There's there's multiple level like multiple levels of kind of like communication that needs to constantly happen so that we can one 
stop getting I'm just going to be flat out and say stop getting white people or people that's not involved in this in this movement or that or doesn't that's not in, impacted in this movement to stop them from saying that's racist mm-hmm. to talk like that that's racist and I ha- I'm not racist well guess what we're not saying you're racist like we're not we're saying this conversation has to happen mm-hmm. so we need mm-hmm. to start having more um more uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. where you think that, like listen listen and i i don't know if uh, either one of you are white so i'm not trying to like sound racist and i don't really care if it sounds racist because i'm not racist i know myself and all that know me are, knows that i'm not but mm-hmm. what it is is when we talk about these uncomfortable conversations we always get the kind of talk that says well it happens in our communities it's just you know or we hear the kind of talk that also says that brought up or derived the conversation of black on black crime Listen, crime happens between anyone. As long as you're a human, you fall under being accused of crimes at any point. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, mm-hmm. don't, we, don't, we don't have something that says if you're human, humans don't do this. It's only mm-hmm. for dogs. Yeah. No, we have a penal system that, that holds humans responsible. Absolutely. And so it just so happens to be our communities that's been affected and impacted since the beginning of – the end of slavery, if we want to yeah. like loosely term that, well, and so yeah, absolutely. And so these conversations has to happen, and we need to get away from the thought that no, that's just a race. You know, it's just a racist conversation. I'll go the step and say it is when white people are saying, "Well, that's racist," and we're calling them racist. I am actually because either if you're not racist, you're participating in a racist structure, and you're unwilling to recognize right. that. Because you got your fifis hurt because we called you a name. And that name doesn't actually have a disproportionate impact on you or your family. Right. It does for us. And that's the problem, you know, when we're talking mm. about race and racism, is that, you know, the the calling of the name becomes the problem and not the actual problem. So that becomes the distraction and the focus, which centers white people again in the conversation and yep. it basically says, fuck you, black people and brown people. It's like we get that you're, uh, you know, impacted, but our feelings are hurt and we don't want to be called racist. Well, you know, kiss my ass. And, and you know what? It's it's like I like you just said it like all of it. It's just it's just the simple thought that or the simple fact that it's happened to us. So when I when I march in the street and we like Black Lives Matter and then ass I mean, I want to call uh, assholes because people turn the conversation to all lives matter. Motherfucker, we already know that all lives have a have a <laughs> mattering them, right? personality or uh, aspect to it. But when you've neglected one specific race for Etern- or as long as we can remember, yeah. and historically. Abuse- yeah, historically, then we got to stop and say, at, at one point in history, we're going to have to stop and say, you know what, we're going to put ourselves first mm-hmm. before, before we can drive this bus any further, yeah. before we can walk another step, before we can actually eat another damn morsel of food, we have mm-hmm. to start saying, those that you neglected to treat as human beings in, in history, mm-hmm. we come first. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We have to start acknowledging ourselves. We're the most disenfranchised um, race ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Jewish people in New York or in the United States that they have a tight knit community. Great, I love that 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 idea. But then you have Asians that came over and they're tight knit. They they took over America through Chinese food. 
and, and I'm just being loose with this, but whites, they have a tight knit community. Only blacks and brown skins, we're the only people that don't have something to say, like, are we have businesses, but do they la do they last as long and strong and supported throughout everywhere? I mean, Gillette mm -hmm. is not a Gillette is not a um, black owned company, but Bevel is. But mm -hmm. they've been around just as long as um, Gillette and actually longer, and yet you don't see Bevel all over the um, every every CVS or every uh, drugstore or uh, supermarket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. No, you see the common things like Dove, and although we have Dr. Broner's or I mean, I mean, there's so many things that we don't have, even mm -hmm. when it comes to our music, where our music is termed as ins inspiring more crime or it's thug, thug music or it's, I mean, we got the, the, the we have the most disenfranchising speech. Mm -hmm. We have the most disenfranchised culture of um, uh, dress code or fashion, if I want to say. Mm -hmm. We have, I mean, you can't, you can't get into the justice department you can't uh, we're dis disenfranchised in every step of the way mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah and it's, i mean and so we can't as, as you pointed out we can't have these you know courageous conversations uh unless we grapple with america's history of racism right yes. and and that's you know a huge part of the problem and when people hear black lives matter and you get the response well all lives matter what they're failing to hear and to acknowledge is that what is actually being said is black lives matter as well also you know <laughs> in yes. addition to everybody else's lives mattering but we're centering black lives matter because we have not been centered for so long we, we haven't have mattered everybody so else's lives ahead of our own and we can look at that and you listed a lot of things i mean capitalism is also part of the problem so yes i'm not trying to get you know oh well we want the same thing right because this no we want our own said that right. the master's tools are not going to dismantle the master's house exactly so we're using you know the same kind of tactics the same kind of theories and the same kind of value bring it down we're, we're not doing anything we're replicating it under the guise of something else which is just going to be the same fuck shit that you know we have currently except you know other people running it and i'm not okay with that either um one uh final question unless you have something that you want to ask brian one question i don't know if this is what you were going to ask him but we've been asking all of our guests uh what abolition means to them and I was just wondering if you wanted to react to that. Abolition, in, in, in my idea, actually, I want to give a, a good scenario first, which my, my vision of what I want to do by the third grade, if you have a kid, and I don't have a kid yet, but I have one on the way. And so my child, I'd love to have a chance to have him, because it's a boy, I'd love to have him be able to be, by the time we get into third grade, we always hear our kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they're like, architect, doctor, lawyer, I said engineer. When they're, that's what they're pitted to do in school, but you never hear any of them say activists or mm -hmm. abolitionists. And so mm -hmm. they can't get a job in this field because yeah. a job means you're producing some kind of product and you're working for a company that pays you a salary. Or a, I mean, we need a way to so that our kids can say activists one day and know what it really means, which is, when the governments that were created by us, for us, or under that premise, when they step out of line, we have nothing to go against them with. 
But if we had a structuralized in every state, in every city, in every province, a structuralized sect of people that are called our activists and they follow a guideline that once the government starts acting up and killing our kids or our family members in the streets or in the jails, we have this group that can then be enacted as the activists they are to advocate for our rights that should be pr protected and not guised under something else. Abolition is, I mean, when you're advocating for those that are helpless and in, in jail. And so mm -hmm. an abolition movement in which, in which I started with Shutdown Rikers is highlighting those that can't speak for themselves. They can't get a chance to speak for themselves. And so mm -hmm. that's what ac uh, abolition is for me. It's those that are oppressed and less fortunate because they may not have the money to get bailed out or their complexion of their skin denotes that they should be enslaved while they're behind these walls. That's what abolition is, standing up for those that are oppressed. Thank you for joining us again this week on Beyond Prisons. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also find me on Twitter at phillyprof03. And you can find me on Twitter at bsonnenstein. Our uh, Twitter handle for the podcast is at beyond underscore prison singular. And uh, you can also email us at beyondprisonspodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.